Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Well, wasn't that one of the greatest fight cards we've ever seen? Seriously. 1,000%. Need I, I say was, more? <laughs> no, yeah, no, that was... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can really say too much else to intro about, you know, connecting to UFC 290 ever than that, because that was just, that was amazing. We are just coming off the heels of one of the greatest cards of all time. And now we get Holly Holm versus Bueno Silva this Saturday. Yeah, um, as as one YouTuber alluded to on James Lynch's live stream earlier uh, earlier yesterday, uh, at the time this episode is being released, um, we, we might have gone from the greatest UFC card of all time to one of the worst in recent company history. Um, nonetheless, welcome back to the MMA Outsiders. This is episode 46. My name is Dan Banda. Oh, to my left is Tom Albano, and we are so happy to be bringing you this episode this week. We've been over the moon since Saturday night about how amazing UFC 290 was and how just absolutely picture-perfect International Fight Week played out for the UFC as we are now nine UFC pay-per-views away. That's right. We're in the single digits, nine UFC pay-per-views away from UFC 300, and UFC 290 definitely had that the preliminary feel to it. Um, nonetheless, as, as I said, my name is Ian Bando. You can find my work over at bjpen.com. I'm a staff writer there. You can find Tom's work over at Fansided MMA. He also does great work for the PFL as he has been religiously covering their season as well as PFL Europe over, over the weekend. He's a busy workhorse. I don't know how he does it. And then, of course, before we get into everything, be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to share the MMA Outsiders all across social media at MMA Outsiders ETV. Be sure to follow the network at ETV Network. And of course, um, you can follow us for me at Zambando99 on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Tom over there at Thomas J. Albano on the exact same platforms as well. We have a lot to get into today, despite the UFC card being probably lesser known to the more so casual audience, but that still doesn't mean we have fight news because we do. And we also have a lot of recapping of UFC 292 do uh, as well. But just as a heads up, we did do a um, almost an immediate live stream uh, yesterday afternoon. You can go check that out across all of the Empty the Bench podcast number on YouTube and social channels where we take a bit of a deep dive and do a mini autopsy, if you will, on the event that was UFC 290. Expect more of those in the coming months just because the end of the year is looking like it's going to be the greatest second half of the year in UFC history, or at least it's looking uh, to be shaping up that way. So we have a lot of exciting stuff planned on the show as we are now officially into a very busy month of July. And despite it being a dead period of the summer for sports, it is certainly not a dead period in MMA. Uh, Tom, uh, what what did you think of the weekend uh, that it was? And uh, just give me your overall thoughts because I think you're I think you're pretty ecstatic still and I think you'll probably be ecstatic for a long time just considering that July is like a sweet spot month for the UFC and it keeps delivering over and over and over again 
Yeah, I find it funny that it's Tuesday morning at the time this episode comes out, and I still feel the energy in my bones. Like, that night was just absolutely crazy. And it delivered. And I'm not just talking about the pay-per-view card, by the way. I'm talking about from the very first prelim all the way up to the main event. Because when I saw that very first prelims, then, and I mean, I mean the early, early prelims, and we had Rebovich and Kirk, I thought that there was a chance that Rebovich and Kirk could have been the fight of the night. And I'm like, are you know, are we going to start with the fight of the night and just go downhill from there? Or is this going to be a card that actually all the momentum carries through? And well, all the momentum carried through. And just to add context, Dan, the day this episode is coming out is the eight-year anniversary of UFC 1-8, which, uh, in the words of uh, the score and Nick Baldwin, uh, UFC 189 was always, at least in my opinion and his, uh, the gold standard for UFC and the international fight week events and how to hype and how a card plays out. And I think, also to borrow from his words, that card now has some competition with the one that we had this past weekend. Yeah, not only does that one have competition, I'd also put UFC 100 in that rare category, too. Uh, these all happened around the same time. Of course, you mentioned that it's the eight-year anniversary of UFC 189 on this very day as well. UFC 100 also took place, too. So it's been a very – July 11th is a very sentimental day in UFC history, and I think will continue to be a very sentimental day as long as the sport um, continues to exist. Uh, but yeah, definitely UFC 290 is up there. It's not just one of the greatest UFC events ever, but one of the best MMA events I've ever seen. And I've been watching the sport for as long as you have. And this is one of those cards where you and I can look back on this card five or six years from now. And who the heck knows what the UFC is going to look like by, well, let me just throw a random number, UFC 345. I can't even, I can't even believe I'm, 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 I'm saying that by then, by then are we going to, are we going to have actors fighting other reactors, I don't know, but my point, my point in saying, my point in saying all of this is, we can look back in five or six years and say, yeah, UFC 290 definitely fits that gold standard description. I can't put it above UFC 189 just yet because you had the epic war with Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald. You had the the Jeremy Stevens knockout of Dennis Bermuda. It is, you had a very impressive performance from Gunnar Nelson. And then, of course, to top the card, you had Conor McGregor beating Chad Mendes. So to put UFC 290 over a Conor McGregor card, this is a bit of my bias coming out. That was back when I was a, a, starting to get really into Conor McGregor and his whole career and being emotionally invested in it. So that one, that one will always take the cake for me, but UFC 290 has definitely made its case. And I really do think that if that same card was duplicated with the likes of a John Jones or a Khabib or a George St. Pierre or a Connor, I'd have to I'd have to put it over the top, which is because even though we know Volk is a hardcore is hardcore and we love Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, he has not had the same uh, crazy appeal that some of the other names that I just mentioned had as of yet. I think he's nearly there. But UFC 290 is definitely right there, if not near the top. Well, you're going to have to hope that Alex Volkanovsky, I mean, he's already one of the top two or three, if not the best top pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Well, you I just, think he oh, is. I think, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I was gonna, no, what I was just going to say was you just got to hope that, you know, he may not have that drawing power now, but the performance like he had and the kind of hard that UFC 2 was, you got to hope that he rides the momentum, basically, and can turn into one of those based on what happened. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you know, let's hypothetically say he he wins the uh, the Islam Makachev rematch and and um, well, we, we'll we'll get we'll get into the fight yeah, itself. Let's get right into it. Sorry to throw that up, but we, let's just get right into it since we bring up Volkanovski. No, no, of course. Uh, to finish my point, though, let's say he beats Islam Makachev in a rematch that you know a lot of people thought the first fight went his way. Let's hypothetically say he beats Makachev uh, whenever whenever they fight. Um, I mean, hey, I think if we're talking about massive and historical UFC events. UFC 300 might be the perfect backdrop to do a potential trilogy if it's 1-1. Of course, talking about the fight itself, obviously Alexander Volkanovski versus Yara Rodriguez. We broke it down last week. Super high level fight. Yara Rodriguez coming in on all of this momentum. Looked like he was going to get cut from the UFC a couple years ago. Strings together a few good wins in a row. Fights Max Holloway really tough. Dominates Josh Hammond to win the interim title. And is now in this position to where we kind of thought, oh, if Volk isn't careful, Rodriguez could make it a firefight. And he he fought as well as he could, Tom, but I really do think Alexander Volkanovsky's outside pressure is what dictated the pace of this fight. He was obviously able to finish him on the ground with strikes and just look absolutely masterful doing it. Uh, can you kind of talk about Volkanovsky's performance and the way he finished him and would you say out of all of Volk's title defenses to this point that this is the best he's ever looked? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, yeah, you could argue that oh, maybe it was the Max Holloway kind of performance that was that might have been a little better, be simply because of who Max Holloway is. But to, I mean, you look at the kind of performance that Alex Volkanovsky here. Uh, Alex Volkanovski had here. When you look back at those Max Holloway fights, especially that second fight, Max Holloway was still able to bring it back to Volkanovski and test him. This was just, you know, bless Yair Rodriguez's heart, but this was one-sided domination. Now, and it, it was a little more slower paced. It wasn't, you know, first-round knockout uh, kind of domination, but Alex Volkanovski, you know, he was very calculated. He had the outside pressure, as you alluded to. Yair Rodriguez just couldn't get inside of him. Yair couldn't take control of the fight. Alex uh, Alex Volkanovski was just dictating the pace. He was dictating where this fight would go. He was landing the better shots. He was avoiding a lot of the shots that Rodriguez was throwing at him. Uh, when they grappled, uh, Alex Volkanovski just was in control. And then, as you alluded to, he was able to bring it down to the ground in the third round and get the TKO from there. Because that's the thing that really, I think, stands out to me with this Volk performance. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, oh, just bang, 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 first round knockouts like some of the other fights that happened on this UFC 290 card. But it also wasn't, say, an Anderson Silva kind of one-sided fight. In And I bring up Anderson Silva because it was just inducted into the Hall of Fame where he was so much better and it was just kind of toying around and picking at him, playing at playing at his food. It was, it was kind of a little more on the inside. That Volk was, I wouldn't say playing with Rodriguez, but again, he was using the term calculated. He was very calculated. 
very technical. And then he was able to bust up Rodriguez in one of the earlier rounds. You could actually see by the end of the second round, I think it was uh, this side of Volkanovski's face, he was pretty damn busted open. Like, blood was spilling bad. And then by the third round, he was able to get him to the ground, and it was just blow after blow after blow, got it done with the ground and pound. And, you know, it wasn't the kind of beatdown that, say, the Korean zombie fight was. I still don't know to this day how the Korean zombie was able to see the fifth round in that fight. Absurd. Absolutely absurd. But uh, Yair Rodriguez, you know, like I said, all credit to him, but it was just it was just too much. Yeah, I mean, it was too much for sure. And, you know, I want to say I was surprised Rodriguez um, didn't change his game plan. You would have thought after round one, he would have maybe tried to use his wrestling a little bit more to put Volk in deep waters, which is something that Volk has never seen. And he just never, and and he just didn't even try. You know, I just want to put it to you bluntly. He did not try to change his strategy whatsoever during the entire duration of that fight, even when he knew he was getting badly hurt. That's what, that's what it, that's what it seemed to me. It seemed like he was very passive aggressive, super tentative, and whenever he would take two steps forward, it was always three steps back every, every, every single time. And, and, and Zan, I mean, you also have to remember, like we're talking about, oh, Rodriguez should have used his wrestling more. And I agree, but Volk actually took him down in the first round. You, you know, you can't discredit, you know, that Volkanovsky was the one, like you talk about dictating the pace of the fight, how he pressured him against the cage multiple times. And, you know, obviously leading all up to the third round where he just absolutely blasted him, rocked him to the point where Rodriguez went to the ground and he got the finish there. But, you know, even Volk got a first round takedown. And I and I mentioned last week and we were previewing this card. I wonder what uh, the first Islam Makachev fight did for his wrestling, because I think Alex Volkanovsky's wrestling, you know, obviously, I don't know how much we can judge off this one fight in that first round. But I, I think his wrestling, you know, if it's improved, then that really steps Alec Volkanovsky up for that potential rematch with Islam. Oh, 100%. And, uh, did you and, it, just, and it just makes him a more dominant fighter than he's already looked at featherweight. Right. And to do it against the guy in Yair Rodriguez, who's supremely known for his toughness, and to put the damage on him the way that he did was ultra impressive. And this goes to show how Volk can find one little opening. And once that opening is found, the fight is, is either A, totally shifted, or B, over in a matter of a couple minutes. And that's what that's what happened. This is why if they rematch and Islam isn't careful, um, I think a rematch between those two, regardless of where it is, whether it's in uh, Abu Dhabi, in Australia, in Vegas, wherever it is, the, the, I think a rematch would go very differently than how or the first fight when I think you could see Volk turning the tables on Islam. And I know oh, that's a bold take considering how how uh, how strategic and, and, and effortless Islam's fighting style is and how he has no weaknesses. But you want to talk about someone that took Islam into deep water, the answer to that question is Alexander Volkanovsky. And I think a rematch would go oh, much differently and definitely would be very exciting. Yeah. So on that note, obviously with Yair Rodriguez, it's time to go back to the drawing board. You can't take him out, you know, of a top five fight just yet. But 
I think, and we've talked about it, Dan, all that, you know, could happen now with featherweight. Unfortunately, not only is he back to the drawing board, I think he's got to play. I mean, he needs the recovery time anyway. He's probably going to get medically suspended, but he's going to have to play the waiting game at this point to see what plays out with Max Holloway and Korean Zombie, what plays out with who potentially is going to get the next title fight. If they give Yair Rodriguez, if they we've talked about how, and actually we made mention on the uh, post-fight stream on Sunday about Arnold Allen also being an odd man out. Do you book Yair Rodriguez versus Arnold Allen? Uh, what happens again with Ilya Tapura? Are they going to give him a title shot next? Are they going to have him fight Max Holloway in either a contender fight? Maybe in worst case scenario, an interim title fight. We'll get into why. I say that in just a second, but your thoughts on what we go from here with Yair Rodriguez? Well, I wanted to ask you this question. Does Calvin cater of a fight booked in the coming uh, months? Calvin cater have a fight book? That's a very good question. Let me double check. Uh, uh, oh, Calvin cater tore his ACL in October. Let's see, this is a fight, uh, an article from MMA News uh, from April. He said, a return to 2023 is possible, but early 2024 is more realistic. Okay, I was going to say that, because uh, isn't he coming off a loss? He is, yes, but, you know, an ACL tear, I think he's, he's going to need more than just, you know, especially because it happened in late 2022. He may not fight this year. Yeah, and I wasn't even saying this year. I'd say I'd say he or Arnold Allen are two suitable options. If Calvin Cater isn't ready to go, I think you give Arnold Allen that fight. Well, honestly, yeah, I mean... honestly, this is going to sound dumb, but um, running back Rodriguez versus Emmett again, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I would be opposed to it either. I just think that. With Yair, I mean, we definitely need to give him a rising contender. The reason I brought up Arnold Allen is because on the uh, post-fight stream on Sunday, we did mention, yeah, you know, hey, Arnold Allen is probably still a fight or two away from a title shot. And I'm just thinking in my head, well, you know, he's ranked number four right now. Just give him somebody who's going to be ranked, you know, in the top three at this point. Because even though he lost, you know, he's still going to be number one ranked contender probably or number two when the rankings come out, why not just throw that out there? Yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed to that either, and uh, it makes a lot of sense for a main event. So oh, hmm. I'd say let's do it, although uh, if they do it at the apex, it's a, it's a literal crime. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? I, I, apex never die. They say pride never die, it's going to be apex never die now. Yeah, I guess it's going to be Apex Never Die Forever, it looks like. Um, but let's, yeah. let's talk about why I brought up, uh, you know, Holloway and Tafuri, and I threw that interim title there. So, in the immediate <laughs> aftermath of the fight, Alex Volkanovsky mentioned, oh, hey, I'm going to need some surgery. He said, it's nothing bad, there's no broken bones. It's, he's, he's calling it a minor surgery, but he's not going into detail as to exactly what it is. I think he's been pointing to his arm. I think it has to do with something with his arm, but we don't have the exact details. He says he's not going to be out of action, that he's still going to be training even after getting the surgery. But 
I kind of want to know what the hell he needs to undergo surgery for. Yeah, I'd like to know too. I'd like to know where it stems from. And it could have very well not even been in the fight. It could have easily been in camp leading up to the fight or at oh, some I'm other. But, but I'm certain. And the only reason I say that, Sand, is because we heard about all the talk about, you know, what he had, that apparently that Hulk was somewhat hurt in training camp. Yeah, and there was there, there there was that there was that uh there was that bandage uh below his eye too. Yeah, people were t- talking about could have been some sort of cut, could have been a staph infection, what it could have been. And Volk, I, I remember Yair Rodriguez in a pre-fight interview saying he wants he doesn't want any excuses from Volk. He wanted a one hundred percent as Volk could be. And well, I mean, if Volk wasn't a hundred percent in that fight, he certainly looked it in terms yeah, of yeah uh, he. He definitely looked at if it's his version of Chuck Liddell having the flu against Jeremy Horn, I think he uh I think he passed the test with flying colors, if you if you will. Um, Alex, Alex Volkanovsky's flu game. Uh yeah, yeah. Although as far as we know, he wasn't he wasn't sick, which is which is a good thing. Yeah. No, nonetheless, though, um to piggyback off your point. You bring up a very interesting conundrum, which is yet another UFC interim title fight, which could very well be possible considering we don't know how long he's going to be out. Um, this October Abu Dhabi card seems to be in super limbo. We have we have no idea what's going on with that. We'll get into more of as to as to why. Yeah, we'll talk to, about that next. Yeah, we'll we'll talk we'll, we'll talk about that next. But what's interesting is depending on how long he's out. You know the UFC and you know their contract obligations. They need to ensure that they have a title fight on every pay-per-view, unless you're Conor McGregor, of course. <laughs> um, so so with that said, um, you, you brought up a very interesting point on Sunday during the live stream too, which is the possibility of an interim title fight involving Max Holloway, assuming he wins in August, versus the likes of Ilya Taporia, if you will. Tom, you've been speaking it into existence. How likely is this uh, possibility uh, that the UFC is thinking about it? Do you think it actually comes to fruition, given that this minor surgery is 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 more than likely going to be happening sooner rather than later for the champ? Again, this is one of those things that's a little frustrating because obviously, obviously, you have to understand that there are things like HIPAA that you can't really go too much into detail, but you you know our bigger MMA media members, they're going to find a way to figure out what the hell it is that he's undergoing some sort of surgery for. And- of course, because that's what that's what they, they do. That's why uh, the likes of Aaron Bronstead or Nolan King, Ariel Hawani, James Lynch, and many others are the best in the business. Yeah. exactly. So they're going to figure out a way to find out what it is that Volk's undergoing surgery for, and it just it just goes from there. I mean, we do have to note, Sam, speaking of Ilya Tapura, Volk and Tapura got into it a little bit. They showed Volk leading through the crowd, and Volk and Tapura, you know, got into each other's face. They had the confrontation. It seems like after Ilya Tapura just put that absolute beat down a couple of weeks ago on Josh Emmett, that that might be the next fight that they want to run. But it all depends on Volk, whatever the surgery is, and how long, if at all, he's going to be out for. So... I mean, it depends on where we go from here. If it turns out a actual full-on surgery, like a normal surgery, he's going to be out for some time and needs the extra time. You know, you look at San, 
you look at the potential for that Holloway versus Tapura interim title fight, now that's granted, we expect how Holloway versus Korean Zombie, how we expect it to play out, and Holloway gets an early finish, like second, third round, at least, on on a Korean Zombie, or Max Holloway just puts on a one-sided beatdown in the unanimous decision on Korean Zombie. And then it's the or 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 Max Holloway somehow loses and screws the entire plan up. <laughs> if that happens, yeah, if that happens, that's that's not good. If that happens, and then Tapura, you're gonna have to have Tapura wait until Volkanovski's ready at that point. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what. That's what, only what's gonna have to happen now. If Tapura wins, then it goes back to what we talked about last week, where you can book a number one contenders fight between Holloway and Tapura. I mean, again, Zan, Holloway is, we've called him the quadruple-A fighter. The only one he has lost to is Volk. You could point to how Yair Rodriguez got a good handle on him, but at the end, Rodriguez still lost to Holloway. Rod, Holloway has been, Holloway and Volkanovski are the guys that have been everybody in this division. So at that point, with Tapura, with Tapura at this point, with how he beat down Josh Emmett, point and simple, he's got they've got only two choices: it's Volk or it's Holloway. Yep, that's exactly right. But but going with my other scenario, if Holloway loses, who does Tapura fight then? That's the, you have the, to play the waiting game. Everybody, Volk, Tapura, UFC will all have to play the waiting game if that happens. I very, I can't say that, Sam, because. I honestly think Korean Zombie's laying down the gloves in Singapore. I, I don't think he's going to come back for another fight. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I think this is this is his retirement fight. Too. Unless Dana and the UFC get absolutely desperate and throw him a bleep ton of money to take the beating from Tapura to get to give Tapura the interim title, which would be the UFC being the UFC. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so it all depends on what's going on with Volk. Now, the reason we keep bringing up Islam Makachev, because that's a, the good point's going to be, oh, you guys are talking about all this. We don't even know. Volk, he has teased. He did tease at the press conference. He does want that lightweight title. He does want to avenge that loss to Makachev, which was his first loss in the UFC, his first loss since it was like his third or fourth professional fight. The thing that is that why Islam is being brought up is not just because of the rematch, but it's because of an interview Aaron Bronstetter did with Charles Oliveira during the International Fight Week, in which Oliveira has told him he will not be ready to face Islam Makachev in October. After Charles Oliveira put away Benil Dariush in, I think it was June at UFC 289 last month, uh, the expectation was, and even Dana White had, meant, had teased at the post-fight press conference they were going to do the Islam Makachev charles Oliveira rematch in Abu Dhabi, where Islam beat Oliveira um, last year for the then-vacant lightweight title. But obviously, those plans are now up and uh, he Oliveira had said, oh, I if we can push this to November at MSG or December in Vegas, you know, then I should be good to go. Obviously, Zan, uh, when we're saying that, you bear in mind that Oliver Darius was supposed to take place at U88, but some sort of injury pushed that fight back a month to the Vancouver card uh, last month. But Ali Abelziz, who 
for all intents and purposes, you know, from Dominus m probably most known manager in the game, and is the manager of one, Islam Makachev said, absolutely not. Makachev's only going to fight in Abu Dhabi in October. Now, granted, Zan, Ali saying that, not a surprise. We talked about that. We mentioned that on the post-fight stream. The UFC, you know, when they do these events in Abu Dhabi every October, the Abu Dhabi government has some sort of say in what's going to happen. And we've talked about in the show for months, Dan, uh, when we were talking about playing matchmaker for the rest of the year. The UFC is not going to do a UFC event in Abu Dhabi in October and not have Islam Makachev in the main event. Yeah, which leaves you with very few options except to pray and hope or somehow, some way, uh, game the system, if you will, and try to get the winner of Poirier Gaethje to Abu Dhabi, which you and I have talked off air makes no sense because assuming that we know how that fight's going to go, both of those guys are not going to be ready to fight for a long time considering their fighting styles and how they're going to get after it and try to hurt each other as badly as they can. The UFC is in a really difficult spot. They either have to force Oliveira to fight, otherwise... Um, otherwise, someone in the Ab- in the Abu Dhabi or Saudi Arabian government is going to be very, very is going to be very, very upset uh, to put it or to put it, uh, to put it lightly. Or we're going to get some. Okay, so we could do. You know, you got to pray that either Oliveira can somehow still make an October, which I don't know, considering what he just told Bronstetter, one of the best media members in this game. Or you got to pray that. The injury to Volkanovski, this minor surgery, isn't going to keep him out for long. And then maybe you can try to do Islam versus Volkanovski. It kind of, kind of makes a little sense. Volk had the home field advantage in his first fight. Now you, you know, rematch. You could give Islam the home field advantage. Yeah, that's the fight that they probably have to pray and hope that the surgery timetable lines up to where he'll have a full camp and it can work out well. Uh, an interesting development before we came on the air, James Lynch had an interview with Charles Oliveira where Oliveira never told James Lynch that he wasn't ready to fight. Then he interviews Bronstetter and says that he isn't ready to fight in October. So James is uncertain as to whether or not his translator like misinterpreted what uh, both guys asked Oliveira, it's a very confusing situation, but from what we know, based on what Oliveira's translator said, he is not ready for October, but James did mention it, and that did get a lot of questions after he said that, so I just felt like he needed to bring that up, that this story is a little bit is a little bit wishy-washy, because we don't exactly know where Oliveira stands, but according to the translator, it seems like that's the direction he's going. I mean, if that's the case, Dan, then that's on the translator. Because that's that's you know this is a this is a pretty big deal. We're talking about October. We're going to t- we're talking about a card, Zan, where you know the government's going to basically let, let's just compl- point it blank and simple. The government's going to force that Islam Makhachev is fighting in the main event of that card, which means it's going to be Charles Oliveira, it's going to be Alex Volkanovsky, or it's going to be a fight that doesn't make sense. Either trying to get you know. In the spirit of what we what we talk about with September in Sydney, which we'll get to when we talk about DDP, somebody trying to get somebody to turn around two two and a half months when we know that Poirier and Gaethje are going to bust each other up in the BMF title fight later this month. 
so he could be one of them. Or we talk about a fight that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> could you could you imagine? Could you imagine, Tom, if it's Islam Makachev versus Kamaru Usman? <laughs> oh God! How would Kamaru Usman make one fifty five at this point? I don't know. Or or or. or or, you know, you go through the rankings and you go, okay, Oliveira, no, Poirier, Gaethje, no, Benil, you know, give Benil Darius a title shot, even though he lost to Oliveira. <laughs> or give it to somebody outside the top 10, like Rafael Fiziev. Or, or don't even make the Michael Chandler, Conor McGregor fight and give it to oh, Conor McGregor. No. <laughs> and put Conor McGregor in the fight. <laughs> So that's why Dana's been very quiet about all this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the evil villain. It's like the evil villain that reveals the master plan and then they're twirling their evil mustache. Nah, you fell for my master plan. <laughs> could you could you actually imagine if that was the fight? Oh my goodness! <laughs> but again. Sad, but again, it goes back to a point that we even made on the post-fight stream. Not not about uh, this kind of potential scenario, more about the Drickus Duplessis thing, which we'll touch on DDP in just a second. But if you want to build a major fight like D uh, DDP versus Israel is, or in this case, somehow a potential Islam kind of fight, that that's what that can't be a short notice fight. You gotta no, have a whole sort of promotion for that. That's why I'm saying. You know, is there a chance then that if Oliveira and both both aren't ready, the UFC just throws in somebody like a Darius or a Fiziev, even though even if they come off a loss or they're not technically ready or they're outside the top ten, just to get Islam to fight? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, so with all that being said, let's say you are Sean Shelby McMaynard. Let's say you are in Las Vegas, Tom. You've been tasked with making sure that the rest of the year for pay-per-views is planned out. What what do you do if, if you are if you were given the keys to be the UFC matchmaker for the day and you were asked to plan this Abu Dhabi October main event, who are you who, who are you picking to challenge Islam Makhachev for the lightweight championship? Okay. So what I'm doing is I'm creating a list. Based just you know, it just it just seems like we need a list here. As a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E, all the way down to plan Z. That okay. The, that's the point where it seems like we need. So plan A, obviously, is the Oliveira rematch. If Oliveira's not ready, B is going to be Volk. If Volk's okay. not ready, we're bleep. We're F-U bleep bleep E-D. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I think. Um... Plan C. I I can't say I don't want to say Poirier Gagey. That's that's completely unfair. But it's gonna be what the UFC does. I I don't think if we're going off rankings, I don't think we have a choice. Plan C it has to be the Poirier Gagey winner. Okay. Well, I concur with you. Um. Or I. Uh... Or uh, what the heck? Why why not do um, Islam versus Armand Tarzuki? I I mean, yes, but again, this is one of those cases where somebody outside of the top five is going to get a title shot. Yeah. 
like the UFC has managed to somehow. I I actually I can't even blame the UFC on this one. Who expected that Charles Oliveira or at least the trans was going to make that kind of comment? That kind of oh oh, I, oh, oh I'm sure oh oh I'm sure the UFC is frantically pissed at at the time of this well at the time of this recording and the time that this episode is being released. I'm sure that UFC HQ is in panic, throwing papers. They're they're probably. Probably really upset. Um, I'll admit, if I was the UFC intern this summer, I think I would be really scared going into work today. <laughs> I'm very um, scared going into the war room today. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that this Tuesday matchmaking meeting, which is going to be in a few hours after this gets posted, is not going to be very pretty. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be something. All right. We'll get into the whole DDP thing and how Sydney and September kind of connects, but can't forget about the co-main event. Absolutely. I say that especially because, do you remember when we were talking about Volk and Yair main eventing? And I said, well, you know, we talked about the lack of a big star for this card. And we said, well, they're going to need a fight of the year candidate then. Well, it didn't, got it. Versus, it didn't come in Volk versus Yair, but they got one. And they got multiple in this card, but especially this one, Alex Antosia. The new UFC flyweight champion defeating Brandon Moreno. Split decision, maybe a bit controversial, but very, very, very close kind of fight. An absolute back and forth war. Both men were wearing the crimson mask by the end. This was absolutely, this was awesome. This was stacked of a fight. You saw both guys trying to take control. You saw the two bust each other up. You saw Pantoja and his grappling Zant. This was just awesome, wasn't it? Oh, it was a phenomenal fight. Uh, for those of you who missed it, please, I, 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 I don't just encourage you. I beg you, if you are an MMA fan, if you have not seen this fight, go, go and watch it. Go and watch every second of it. Um, look up zero spoilers about what happens. And just watch it for yourself because it's one of these master classes in a division that's been so um, so disdained on for years and years and years. Even us on this show, we'll, we'll admit it. We have our criticisms of the flyweight division too. But th- this is the fight. This is one of those fights where the UFC should have no regrets about keeping this division because these two just went out and just gave it everything they had on uh, on Saturday night. And it, now that I'm thinking about it, it's just amazing to me. Brandon Moreno's fight history over the last three years, just consistent back-and-forth fight-of-the-year candidates in almost every single fight that he's competed in. Even this one, a very close decision um, in, in, in my view. But overall, a very entertaining fight. Uh, Pantoja doing do, doing what he needed to do, um, using his grappling later in the fight to neutralize Moreno, hurting Moreno on a couple of occasions. Um, there were several times where it looked like both guys were going to get the finish. They, they they couldn't do it. But overall, a very entertaining fight. Good performance for Pantoja. Nice to see Brazilian male MMA specifically get back on the map and have a champion of for sure, it's something that's been lacking in that country for several years now, minus a few rare exceptions. And 
just overall, very impressive display from both guys and a fight that you could watch a hundred times, um, new variations of it a hundred times and still be satisfied. Yeah, and I, you bring up the grappling, and I want to go over to that because that's the whole thing that seemed to be kind of why. Because the first two rounds were very clear. Pantoja got the better Moreno in the first round, and then Moreno's striking was definitely on point in that second round. So it was 1-1 heading into round three. And in rounds three through five, we saw a lot of grappling by Pantoja. A lot of backpacking, a lot of... especially in the later two rounds, trying to get the choke on Moreno. In fact, I think it was the fourth round that he did get a choke on Moreno, and there was a thought maybe that fight could have been ended there, but Moreno was able to get through it. Um, so that's where definitely a lot of why we see all these scorecards going all over the place. Of 3-2 here, 3-2 here, uh, sometimes a 4-1, where we have, it all depends upon this whole, you know, the first stage criteria of judging, effective striking versus effective grappling. And I told you, Zan, on Sunday, I gave rounds two and five to Moreno. I thought it, it, when you asked, if you asked the question of that fight, was Pantoja's grappling able to effectively uh, take out Moreno's striking? Rounds three and four, I say yes, especially round four, because as I mentioned, he nearly got the choke on Moreno. Round five, I say no, because all he really did in round five, Pantoja, uh, towards the later stages of that round, was he backpacked onto him, but it didn't really stop Moreno's activity, and Moreno was landing a few good shots on them in that last round. So ultimately, I had it 48-47, Pantoja. I had it 2-3, um, let's see, so I had round one to Pantoja. That was the clearest round of the fight, in my opinion. Uh, round two was Moreno. Um, three and four were difficult to score, but I would say uh, Moreno won round three. Um, and then, I mean, in, again, it, it comes down to how you scored that fourth round. Uh, but I had, I had, uh, I had two, two, three, and four for Moreno, and then round five was a clear Pantoja round, and so was round one. But the fight, the fight was very close. See, I mean, even we're all over the place with this, but it all depends upon what you really think about the grappling aspect of everything. So, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think effective strikes from the bottom, to me, I think it's ridiculous that they don't count for something, and if they do, they need to count for more. I will, I do agree on that. I wish that. I, I there needs would, to there needs to be a clearer criteria for that particular um, uh, technique in a fight, if you will. Uh, actually, even John Anik, even John Anik got in there. So, because I like I followed John Anik, and our account follows John Anik on social media, and apparently John Anik uh, chimed into a. In, into a uh, tweet conversation between Cody Merrow and Sean Sheehan of SureDog.com. Uh, so, yeah, and actually, it all stems from Cody Merrow quote tweeting Ben Askren because Ben Askren, and I don't know if you saw, he's, he actually just commented, How did one judge score 49 46 Moreno? That's so insane. And that's that step is where a lot of this stems from. 
is that one judge somehow scored rounds two through five all for Moreno, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. And you have Sheehan basically trying to defend that Pantoja basically didn't win every round, clearly. And here was Annex's take. To give, I'm going to quote from, to give rounds three, four, and five to Moreno is to suggest that you have no respect for effective grappling in an MMA fight. Pantoja repeatedly was able to take the fight to his world, dominant position, dominate positions. Moreno couldn't adjust. I'm not even willing to chat about this. Yeah, well, um, and my response to that is, John Anik is obviously the gold standard for MMA commentary, so I think he would know that no more than 99% of us. I just think I just think every round was so close that Moreno was still in the fight. It's not like he wasn't doing anything to provide any offense. It's not like he was getting overwhelmed by Pantoja. 1,000% um, Pantoja, you know, showed that his, that his grappling was at a weak, was in a weak level, but he didn't show me enough to where he was trying to finish him in every round, which is why I only gave him the fifth round, which was, the closest to me as to where he came to finishing that fight. And that's just, that's just how I, that's just how I viewed it. I thought it was either going to be 48, 47, uh, 48, 47 or 49, 48 Moreno or, or, uh, or a draw. That's I, what, yeah, I thought it was going to be either a draw or 48, 47 one way, but I will agree with Anik when it comes to that one judge's scorecard. I don't know really if I can respect giving Moreno four straight rounds after giving Pantoja the first. I feel like there was one round where, as you mentioned, San, maybe I'm getting confused between the fourth and the fifth round. Maybe I'm mixing up. But one of those two rounds, Pantoja nearly got a choke on Moreno. And I think, you know, that's nearly finishing the fight. That's got to count for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was probably, now that I'm thinking of it, it was pro it was probably round five, but now because the, one, the fight... one of those, so round four and five, one of them Pantoja got the choke and I gave it to him. The other the other one, Zan, that we're alluding to, whichever one it wasn't the one that he got the choke in, was got I, it. was the closest, was as you said, was the closest fight. That was the toss up round. Okay, gotcha. Well, I just remember from watching the fight round five, Pantoja clearly won. So ultimately, so ultimately, I could have seen this as 48, 47 either way. It's just, I feel like, I feel like you can't, you can give Moreno one of the last three rounds. I don't think you can give him all three. I no, agree. no, no, 1000%. And I agree with, An and I agree with Anik that if you gave Moreno all three of the last three rounds, rounds three through five, you, you don't respect grappling enough in the sport. That's true. Yeah, if I was if I was a judge, there's no way I would have given four rounds to Moreno. Woods, however, just based on the sheer principle of, of the unified rules, it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense. And I kind of want to focus on the positivity because I don't want to get into another commission rant about somebody screwing up. That seems. But it, but, it, but again, Tom, it's another Nevada decision. That we're talking, it's another one in the same damn state in the venue across the street. It's the it's the same theme every every freaking weekend. I know. I, I wish there was some sort of accountability. 
I know Andy Foster in California has previously stated that he is going to release some, you know, that judges will, any notes from them defending their scorecard, he's going to start to release them. But I, I just, I just don't think anybody is going to follow through on that. No, no, unless you're a very smart MMA media member who, quite frankly, is in fear of losing their access, then go for it. Right. <laughs> I, I just mean, I mean, credit to Andy Foster, credit to the California Commission, because I know they're trying their best to try to bring this sport into an even more modern age, but it's just, and then hold everybody accountable. But it's just, you know, I, I've lost all faith in commissions at this point. Yeah, I think pretty much everybody has. Okay, so nonetheless, Pantoja, new flyweight champion. But, um, but considering the circumstances of the scorecards, you got to do the rematch. Right. I mean, I think that's the only fight that makes sense. Um, James Lynch disagrees. Um, he says that because Moreno lost the fight and because he's he didn't have a full-on title defense in his first run and – of like that he doesn't think Moreno is deserving. I think that's a little bit of an out of bounds. Just because Moreno's been in big fights over the last three years and has proven to be a championship caliber fighter in all of them. I agree, but at the same time, I actually kind of understand if they don't because, remember, technically this was their third encounter. One encounter doesn't count because it was an exhibition because it was an ultimate fighter bout. So if you want to say, well, Pantoja won all three times, you know, we got to give this a rest. I mean, fine. Dana has mentioned at the post-fight press conference, though, that, hey, you know, we could run this, you know, we the flyweights are so talented that at this point you could do a lot of fight forevers. But at the same time, did mention that Brandon Royville was there at the Team Mobile Arena and basically told Dana, you know, let me get into the cage. I want to get into the cage and do something there and have a little confrontation. And Dana obviously didn't let him, but said he is considering Brandon Royville in the title picture, essentially. So you're going to have Brandon Royville, you got these two, you got Amir Albazi. So I, I wouldn't be mad, Zan, if Royville or Albazi got the next title shot, and then the next title shot, and then Brandon Moreno got whoever didn't get the next title shot of those two. Would you be opposed to Brandon Moreno fighting for an interim UFC flyweight championship in his next fight? To do a unification bout if he wins. What's the purpose of an interim title? It's only Antosha's it not available or some other. It, would, it would make the next fight that much bigger, in my opinion. I'd be opposed to putting the title online. I wouldn't be opposed to a fight itself. Okay. That that's my take. So okay. and obviously, and then obviously Figueredo is still listed number one as a contender, but his, the, his situation is obviously a bit murky. Said he was gonna go up the bantam weight, didn't go up the bantam weight. And San actually originally was scheduled to face Manel Cop on the uh on the pay-per-view in the original card, but then that fight ended up falling through with injuries and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that Figueredo situation is a little bit murky. Plus, he ended up losing the rivalry to Moreno anyway. He got finished by him in January. He needs some time away from the picture a little bit. Uh, absolutely. All right. 
Yo, it's him. It's him. It's DDP. It doesn't it doesn't work. But DDP, the hype train all through. Zan, this is the one that I was hoping I was wrong in the official picks for, and I was glad damn to be wrong. Drinkus Duplessis. I have been on this guy's hype train, Zan. You know my story. I told it on the on the stream. I've been following him since 2016. He was I got to see him win championships in uh, EFC Africa. Again, not to be confused with the Eagle FC promotion of Khabib. And uh, the KSW, and now he's gonna he's gonna fight Israel Adesanya, one of the best damn fighters in the world for a middleweight championship. Yeah, I mean this was an absolutely amazing performance. Um, I mean this is just we'll get to this in a second, but for international MMA to have two unbelievable talents at the height of their careers, you know, two guys who have faced several common opponents in the past. Two guys that like to win impressively. Two guys that win viciously. I mean, you could not ask for a more hyped up middleweight title fight than what we're going to get, hopefully, in either the next 10 weeks or sometime later next year in DDP versus Adesanya. And DDP did something to Robert Whitaker that no one except Israel Adesanya, at least in the UFC, from what I can recall. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this. But... Robert Whitaker doesn't get knocked out like that, and DDP was able to do something that nobody's been able to do outside of the champion to Robert Whitaker. And that's that's just that's just the part that gets me. Like the way he was able to effortlessly beat a former champion and a guy that's been an icon of Australian MMA for years now, and in the fashion that he did it, and it was absolutely unbelievable. And granted, it did take away a trilogy fight between Adesanya and Whitaker, but let's be honest. We really wanted to see a trilogy again. Um, I or, did. Or a trilogy. Yeah, I, I'm very honest. I know people were defending that trilogy and people love Whitaker, but I was kind of hoping inside, like we talked about the UFC kind of hoping, I didn't want to see the trilogy. Adesanya finished Whitaker in the first fight. It was a one-sided decision in the second. There was no need for a trilogy. The problem was Israel Adesanya at this point has run through the middleweight division with the exception now of some of the up-and-comers. Obviously, Pereira beat him, and then he got the win back in April. But now, somebody like DDP, and obviously that can stretch to Pereira and some of these other guys in the lower part of the rankings, it's fresher faces, which is what it, Adesanya in the middleweight division has needed. For sure. For sure. Well said. And, um, and, and so, kind of like you said, that, Going off it, obviously, it was a title eliminator, so you got to give him a title shot next. But just, just the, just the whole way that it was finished, this fight, and just the whole circumstances, and everything, as you kind of alluded to, nobody beat Robert Whitaker in the way Duplessis did, other than Israel Adesanya, which I think makes the tense in cage interactions that they had after the fight that mean that much more it makes the fight height mean that much more that dupe nobody has done anything that alessania has done until duplessis arrived yeah that's a good point um i mean i think the big question now is um i mean i think it's obvious ddp poses the biggest threat to israel alessania that we've ever seen the big question now is going to be, is this a changing of the guard in the middle of the division? Because don't be surprised if Duplessis is a small underdog going into a 
and she'll fight with Adesanya just considering the way he beat Whitaker. I would not be surprised if Vegas gives him a puncher's chance and, and in terms of the odds. And I think, San, this might be a crazy take, knowing how some people love Adesanya and how crazy Adesanya has gotten. Um, but I think you have to give Duplessis a puncher's chance. Think about it. We've talked about, oh, uh, DDP and his uh, his nose and his cardio, it's going to get the better of him eventually. So far, it hasn't. And how, oh, DDP needs to, you know, he's going to get destroyed by Whitaker. And he destroyed Whitaker. He has been, you know, everyone is saying, no, he's not going to, he's not going to, his train's going to run out. And he just does stop. And now he's taking on somebody who has had his own hype train in the past in Israel Adesanya has finished guys in a way Adesanya has finished guys before, has dominated guys before. It's like, you have to give him the chance because, I mean, you have to wonder deep down inside. You know, Adesanya can talk all that he wants, and we'll get into his comments in just a second, but I think even Adesanya has to realize that DDP has a legitimate chance of beating him. And I'm not talking about a lucky puncher's chance. I'm talking about there is a chance DDP is able to get this fight. Yeah, this is a, this is shades of Ryota Machida versus Rashad Evans. That's what that's what it that's what it feels like. Where it was like you wanted to pick Machida, but you were nervous. But then again, when he won, it was like wow, Ryota Machida just did that to the then undefeated Rashad Evans. Where that was the first ever fight where you had a title fight between two fighters who were undefeated. Welcome so, to the Machida era, right? <laughs> yeah, which did which didn't which didn't last very long. Which to this day, I still think he lost to Shogun Hu in their first. Fight, but that's a that's another that's another discussion for another I, day. I, my, my point then is that, by the way, my point is that <laughs> you you are kind of right. Like obviously, even if he loses to DDP the first time, Israel Adesanya can get the belt back in a rematch. He did that with Pereira. But I think my I point mean, I mean, Tom, could you? I mean, Tom, could you imagine that would be that would be the biggest rematch in UFC middleweight history? <laughs> They were if they were able to do it with DDP as the champ on the other side, that's crazy. It would, it would be nuts. My whole point is, and I think, it, I think Israel Adesanya, it's a must win for him against DDP just to say this is still my what happened against Pereira was a fluke. Because if he doesn't, if he loses to Duplessis, then you're right. Then this is basically a changing of the guard. Even if Pereira would win the belt back and become a three time middleweight champ it pretty much showcases a loss to DDP this first time around is that, you know, that basically Adesanya as this dominant champion, it, it, he's not that dominant anymore at that point. I mean, could you imagine a scenario where Per beats Jan Bohovitz, beats Jamal Hill to win the light heavyweight title, and then you do a champ versus champ fight and or Adesanya Per again, or EDP versus Pro for the light heavyweight title, that would be that would be that would be insanity. <laughs> that would be that's crazy talk right now. I now I just want to get to this first fight. I'm so excited for this first fight. Um all right, so the comments that Israel Adesanya made in the aftermath, where he went into the cage and let's say for lack of a better term, let let's say for lack of a better description used the n-word multiple times to basically trying to prove to basically try and prove a point that uh Dricus Duplessis who hails from South Africa is not a true African. Now yeah, which, I, which 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 is which is 
bizarre. Um, I think some of it, like I said on the post-fight stream, stems from history within the continents that I'm not going to get into because one, it's not my place to get into, and two, right, I'm not a history teacher, so that's you know. But if you know anything about the history of South Africa, obviously there is racial tension within the history and. Obviously, Drikas Duplessis and Israel Adesanya, need I say more? Uh, but uh, po- point blank, Zan, I think, you know, I mean, you know who said it honestly the best on social media? Ben the Bane Davis. He, Israel Adesanya, was trying to goad Duplessis into calling him the N word. Yeah. That's that, that basically what was going on. And we talked about on the stream on the post fight stream and I mean I'll still make mention of that uh tweet that Ben Davis put out because it had a lot of replies to it and basically all this talk about how he was being goaded should he have said it should he have not I mean I think it's bad enough Zan that Israel was saying it already which because I mean let let's face it I, I only and I'm only saying this because Ben the Dane Davis posted if DDP had said it, we would be, everyone would be calling for him to be canceled. Oh, for sure. Everyone had, would be able to call him to be canceled. So you can say Adesanya has the pass all he wants. He's allowed to say it because of his race. But there's another problem to it, which we kind of debate, which we kind of um, discuss. And is that they're on a platform owned by Disney. Uh, yeah. Like, like, like maybe the pay per view. Maybe the fact that it was on pay-per-view slides it a little, but imagine if this had taken place on ABC. It would have been really bad. It would have been. It would have been. It would have been so bad that we would have literally spent the entire episode talking about how this took place on ABC, and that would literally be the only thing we'd be speaking about. And 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 basically, you think of the consequences, like. Uh, obviously, with ABC and ESPN, they can delay it. They can cut the audio. We've seen them cut tirades like that. But I think it's just going to be the nature of everything, especially, Zan, because ESPN Plus doesn't censor stuff. So that would have made the way out on social media. And then, you know, we're talking about, you know, all these calls about, oh, one of them should be released. One of them, you know, in the case of Adesanya, should be stripped of the title. Like, no. It, it's an absolute. It would be an absolute bloodbath. Now, Dana. No, has, I don't. I don't. I don't think he should. It'd be. I. I don't think he should be stripped of the title personally. Oh, I'm, not, I'm, not talking about, I'm talking about if it was on ABC. If this had happened. Oh on yeah. ABC. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there would have definitely been a case for him to be stripped of the title for sure, given the platform. But continue with what you were saying. Okay, my whole point that I mean is that Dana in the post fight conference said, you know. I'm not going to do anything about this. I, you know, I'm not going to censor my fighters. I'm going to let them be them. Now, if you want to call out Dana being BS on that, you know, fine by fine by me. But he has that's something he has said in the past too. Is that he's not going to censor his fighters and try to prevent them from saying things. I guess it's just it's setting up for something bad because this is just the first stage of the fight height, which means when yeah. we get to the last press conference before this what is that gonna look like well tom my question is what is this promo gonna look like i know i like that that's what i'm a little worried about too like if, if this if the first stage of the fight hype has racial overtones like this 
with Israel Adesanya dropping the N word. What 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 is the uh, what is the what is the rest of this uh, fight hype going to play out? Imagine as? imagine if in bold capital letters it just says racial overtones Israel Adesanya versus Rikas Duplessis for the middleweight championship. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on a minute. That's my take. Curb that. Curb that. And San, I think it's also worse when you consider that there's a good chance by the end of this year, we're also going to have Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington uh, fight hype to be talked about too. And uh, you don't think, you know, I'm scared Colby Covington might cross the line. Yeah, he probably will. He'll probably remind John Morgan to do 10 more push-ups too. Oh, oh God. <laughs> That's why I'm so scared. And, and and yet, and yet they and yet and people on Ben 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 the Bain Davis was the tweet were pointing this out, and yet the fact that there are racial overtones means people are going to purchase this pay per view. One one or the other gets slammed. Oh, without a doubt. Like I like that's the sick part of it is it is going to get more pay per view buys. It is going to increase the fight hype. Oh, without a doubt, no question. Right. Now I now I have to I have to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um if you were if you were asked to go to this fight as a member of the media, would you be nervous to go? Yes. <laughs> yes. Would you be nervous that there would be a melee on media row as the fight was going on? Yes. I would I would be really I would be really nervous. Yes, especially uh, normally, I should say no because, like, that's going to be the concept. But considering we got racial overtones with this fight, yes, yeah, that's going to be a scene. Do you agree? Do you agree with uh, Andreas Hale's take that this will be darker than Khabib versus Connor, or is that a stretch? I would disagree. It's gonna it's it's gonna get there, but it's not gonna get as bad as what that was. Because to me, it felt like they wanted to genuinely kill each other if they if they tried. Obviously, that I, didn't I, happen. Here's what I think, Dan. I don't think it's gonna get to the point where we got the massive melee in the cage like two twenty nine was. But I think there's a chance where, you know, Connor Connor's some of Connor's comments came from, you know, some dark history about. You know, Dagestan and Khabib's family. I would not be surprised if we get to those kinds of comments with this fight hype. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm pretty much, I'm going to say anyone who uh, is considering going to this fight, uh, good luck and be as safe as, 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 as humanly possible. <laughs> Don't do anything stupid. No. But you know what kind of sucks, though, is. This fight should be taking place in Africa. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. We're not done because let's let's talk about that. So we bring up Sydney. The, the UFC can't make this fight nine weeks for Sydney, can they? The, the, with the kind of hype that's going on with this fight, they can't do that. I I don't think so. But just as an FYI, don't be surprised if they do because they're that desperate to get a main event. I, I I know, but and and that's and that's why I think I mentioned Sydney when we also mentioned Abu Dhabi. UFC has already shot itself in the foot with 
uh, this Sydney card in nine weeks. And now, and now they've just, you know, and now they've also been dealt a bad hand potentially when you've got the following month is uh, Charles Oliveira not being ready for Islam Makachev supposedly. So they've got to figure that situation over these next couple of months of paper. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously this month and August, they're set. It, I'm talking about September and October. Well, we hope knock on wood that they're set for August. Um, praying that nothing happens, of course. Uh, I mean, that's a major fight in Boston. <laughs> um, right. um, but but I, my point was, I mean, they've got to have some sort of backup plan in place for September, right? I mean, do you, I mean, according to Dana, Yuri is good to go. Do you book Jamal Hill versus Yuri for September just to get something on the card? I think you might have to look at that for Fight Island and not Australia as a co-main event. And what, what do you do for Australia? I, I think they're going to do everything they can to make this fight. Oh, I just got a really sick idea. Okay, what is it? Not, and I don't mean sick as in good. I mean bad sick. Oh, okay. Uh, what's your sick feeling? They're going to take two random uh 135ers women's 135ers and say hey how would you like to compete at 145 for a fight and we'll put the featherweight title on the line oh my gosh oh i mean i think people would literally tom i'm sorry but i think literally i think people would literally boycott and not even show up to the event (laughs) but i'm just talking out of desperation i know I, I, and but I, you're gonna, but you're gonna, but you're gonna do that a week before Shevchenko versus Grasso in Vegas. What other choice do they have? <laughs> Whaley is not available. She's defending her title in in uh, next month. She's not available. Oh, uh, oh that's right. Yeah, you're right. She's you're right. I forgot about available. that. Flyweight just fought. Bantamweight in in August. Featherweight just defended. Lightweight, we got to see what the hell's going on with this Abu <laughs> card. Welterweight, uh, probably probably MSG, probably a co-main event. You know, either for MSG or for this, even even December. But I think it might be a little crazy doing a title fight and a Connor fight all in the same one. I don't. I know they've done it before with one ninety six with Misha and uh, <laughs> Ali, but I don't and know. Yeah. Um. So well. You got to see but potential co-main event for MSG unless I mean, Leon talked about fighting in Abu Dhabi unless you're getting there. So unless the government is so desperate and Dana desperate <laughs> that they just make that fight. Or how about this going out of left field? You do an interim heavyweight title fight considering that Jones and Stipe could retire at the same time a month. I mean, there, there is that possibility and that would be a possibility because middleweight again up in the air that you're trying to avoid a nine-week turnaround in order to get this fight as much hype as possible and get TDP as fresh as possible. And then light heavyweight, I mean, it's realistic. We don't know what's, go- we don't, we don't know what's going on with Yuri. Right. Well, you're, according to Dana, Yuri's good to go. That's, that's, that's good. You just don't know what good to go actually actually means. We're, we're, we're assuming that means his shoulder is okay. But And yeah. I, 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 I know. I know what you're going to say. You should have done it in Chicago. Yeah, they they should have. Because then, because then they, because then, then they could have made Yuri versus Jamal Hill in Jamal Hill's hometown. I could have been there. 
It could have been it could have been the main event, my first UFC event in two years. We, there's there's nothing major scheduled at the United Center in the month of September in my in in, in my city. It makes absolutely no sense. I've been clamoring. I've been clamoring for Hill versus Oscar from the rooftops of MMA Twitter since the fight was even considered for the to be in Chicago. Dana White even told me on Instagram that he'd be coming to Chicago soon. It's the middle of July. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Well, you know what? You you can send a message to Dana White, Sam. You can send him. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Mm, oh my god. That is if I want to get blocked, which I don't want to, which I don't want to do. So I will not be, I will not, I will, I will not be sending him yet. <laughs> All right, moving on. Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker. This was another excellent fight. Another potential fight of your candidate. Dan Hooker ends up getting the win. I think the judges got it right. Uh, I think I had Turner getting the first round, Hooker putting out the last two rounds, and Zan, Hooker does this while breaking his arm during the fight. Yeah, this was overly impressive. Uh, nice to see Dan Hooker back in the win column. Tough week for Jalen Turner, first missing weight and then losing the fight. So he'll have to go back to the drawing board. But Dan Hooker, man, is still one of the toughest dudes in the world in that division. And um, I think I think 155. Uh, with him still in the picture, is uh, is alive and well. And he just needs to kickstart his trajectory again and uh, go from there because I think he's only on his way uh, back up the ladder and not down. That was obviously uh, number 11 versus number 12. So Dan Hooker will move up for sure. A very impressive win, despite it being a split decision, which was, to me, downright stupid. But I'm glad the right guy won. That would have been a travesty and he lost this fight. Um, but yeah, good win for Hooker, and uh, definitely more to come uh, in in 24. I would presume, unless they want him to be a part of another pay per view. Uh, well, that Sydney card makes some sense. He can get turned around. It looked like he was okay. It depends on what his suspension is ordered. They could do him later this year, but nonetheless, you know, he's got a broken arm, Zan. He's got a broken arm. Hey, he ain't fighting at Sydney. So maybe December, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. I, I'm now remembering the picture. Of the X-ray did make it seem like it was a bad arm break. So I was I was over uh, I was uh, I was overthinking. Yeah, December early next year makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, but as far as Jalen Turner goes, yeah, I think uh, under normal circumstances, I would say Jalen Turner's stock didn't drop, but I think it did a little bit just on the simple fact that he did miss weight. This was, we talked about how Jalen Turner had everything to gain and Dan Hooker had everything to lose in this fight during the preview that we had last week. And I feel like all of a sudden Jalen Turner has lost stuff because of the fact that he didn't make weight. And I think not making weight helped to hurt the body, helped to hurt his body a little bit more when Dan Hooker was attacking his body during that second and third round. And ultimately, I mean, I'm glad the fight would played out as it did where the two basically beat each other up from pillar to post. At the same time, you know, Jalen Turner kind of screwed himself a little bit by not making weight. Oh, 1,000%. And we, know, and we know that these things kind of happen. We know that these things kind of happen. There's more that goes into it as media members, but it's still kind of a really bad thing, which, Sam, actually leads me into something 
that happened at PFL Europe 2. Now, obviously, PFL Europe 2 didn't air in America. I still got to cover it as part of my uh, PFL, you know, uh, duties. But there was a fight um, between a pair of lightweights, Akoyden Duque, Alexander Chizov, that how PFL Europe works in is a little bit different. So in the normal PFL, in the global PFL stage, like we see on ESPN, obviously now if a fighter misses weight, it's one point deducted from the standing. Now, how they do it is in PFL Europe, it's a point deduction in the fight. So we actually had a situation where technically Duque won by unanimous decision, but because he missed weight, all three scorecards read 28-28. The fight was declared a draw. And in the PFL, I think in PFL Europe, a tiebreaker goes to the fighter who didn't miss weight. So technically Duque wins the fight. In the um, commission record book, but Chizov advances on because he made weight and Duque didn't. So I don't know how you felt about that because people were attacking the PFL online for that one. Yeah, I mean, I think this falls on the PFL. Um, first, it's the it's the controversy with the the fight a couple weeks ago, and now it's this. I think it I think it should make MMA fans upset that now there are all these extra parameters to decide um, how a fight should play out and who should win and who should lose all because of stuff that's not happening in the cage, I think it's just wrong. And I think the way the UFC does it where you lose a percentage of your purse is the right way to do it and the only fair thing to do. Because if you take away a fight, that's a fight off of somebody's career. That's a fight that they trained eight to 12 weeks for, for basically no reason, even if they do miss weight. And I just think it hurts the fighters more than anybody else and makes the promotion look worse because they try to have this buttoned-up view but yet do things like this to hinder a fighter's performance. And for me personally, as a, as a, non, as a non-biased observer of the professional fighters league, I think that's exactly what happened. And even, even with my connection, I do have to say, Zan, also, you can't forget that there was also the drug testing with multiple suspensions. Now, granted, maybe you don't fault the PFL on that one. On that one, you just go to the fighters and say, what the hell were you doing? Um, I don't know how much you fault the PFL on that one. Um, I fault them a little bit. But then again, this is just another example of how the PFL needs to get better to attract more fans. The, the casual audience doesn't I- like when... The- doesn't like when these things happen because it takes away from what's actually happening in the smart cage. At the, at the same time, Zan, I think I do like, maybe not so much what happened here with PFL Europe, but I do like the global PFL thing where if you miss weight, and, and obviously this can't happen in every promotion because the PFL is the only one that has the regular season. Play the playoff, the yeah, yeah, yeah. But which, by the way, I do actually like. I do like a promotional different so i do like for the pfl's case that it is one point off in the standings and personally if you ask me i think pfl europe should have taken from that the thing is with pfl europe it's just a straight up tournament it's regular one regular season bout the set playoff which is a semi and then the championship so okay in that case in that case there is a little bit of a you know 
I, I think in that case, with then with PFL Europe, you just got to say you got to get a couple more fighters for your division. 100%. You can't just have the straight-up eight-man tournaments because then you do have situations like these. But I, I would assume that, that where you talked about with the fine, the percentage of the fight person, I would assume even with the standings and tournament brackets, I think PFL would does the same thing. I think that's more a commission thing than a promotion. 1,000%. Yep. So and I, I think I, that's something that commissions need to work further into. See, this is another... I don't mean to get off on another tangent, but this is another issue that I have with commissions. If they really cared about the sport and the integrity of MMA, we wouldn't be having conversations like this where we're questioning what the commission is actually doing to ensure that to ensure that the promotions are doing legitimate work to make sure that every fight is as fair and as equal as possible, especially when it comes to this weight myth stuff. Tom, we're in 2023 for crying out loud. We're still figuring out how instant replay works and, and how it's used in this sport. We're still having issues with weight misses. We're still having issues with oversaturations of cards. We're still having issues with putting on fights that make zero sense. It's all happening under several commissions' watches, and they're doing nothing about it. Nothing. You're not wrong. And, Zam, I also, but, you know, you bring up PFL. I would stretch this over to UFC, too, because then, I don't know if we're having these conversations if, I mean, it wasn't so long ago, Zan. It might have been during the COVID time we talked about all these weight misses. And guess what? The fighters who are missing weight are winning the fights. It's not fair. It's not because you talk about, oh, you know, taking away, you know, the fact that um, the fact that Duque doesn't get to move on isn't fair because technically he won the fight. But the fights themselves are not fair when you consider that one guy is, has has extra weight behind him, and his opponent actually made weight. That yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Weight more fair. Yeah, it feels it. It literally feels like we're going like 15 years in the past back to the whole issue with uh, the end of the Pride era and how all of these fights were uh, were 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 uh, essentially worked by the by the Yakuza, which is how Pride was de- was deceased. And we don't we don't we don't want to go down a similar path like that again. I'm not accusing anyone. I, think, I, was gonna say, I think that's a bit of a stretch of, to, to make that kind of comparison. Uh, how about I throw you one solution, Zan? Okay. And no, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make it a stretch. It just, it, it, it my point in saying that it's, it feels like we're going, we're going backwards in time. Like, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? Okay, fair. But I'll give you a solution. Point blank. The promoters okay. aren't going to like this one. Maybe the commission's not, but I think it's pretty simple and and makes the point. Fighter misses weight. Fighter can't continue. Okay. You're out. Fight's, the fight's off. You're out. Uh, and then let, let, let's take this Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker one, for example. All right. I turn to Jalen Turner. All right. Uh, fight is canceled. You're out. And Hooker, here's your show money. Here's your win money. Yeah. I mean, if he has no worthy opponent that can step up on however many days notice, that's the only thing that should be I done. Think, I, I think this might be this might be a little strict, especially because we're def- trying to defend fighters. But I think I think that's the only fair thing is you give you give the other guy his show money and his win money and then you call off the fight. One thousand percent, which I think which I think sounds easier, 
more simple because the the part that where that gets murky is what happens when it's the title fight. Because then all of a sudden or a main event. For sure. Um, but the thing that I will say about that is I do think title fights should be handled a little differently where the fight is now like for a non-title. I think that's that's fair. But at the same time, it's not fair to the champ because if the champ doesn't miss weight, then it's – I don't know. It's, I, it's I, little... You bring that up. You Remember what happened in Bellator? I think it was last year we had a situation where a challenger missed weight, but they still fought, and they and they said if the champ loses, the title's vacant. Mm-hmm. So I, which, I, by the way, which 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 by the way, people were confused about that one too. So, yeah, and I and I didn't like when Bellator did that. I didn't think that was actually fair. Now I think the UFC, when Oliveira missed weight in the case of a champ losing their belt on the scales, I think the UFC handled it properly when Oliveira fought Gaethje. Gives the challenger still the chance to win the title. Yeah, although my argument to that is the Arizona Commission was petty, and I thought that weight miss was a little bit bizarre because of the scale thing. Yeah, there was multiple fighters. Yeah, there was that controversy. My point is just, you're right. We need we need a more fair system for both the fighters who miss weight and for the fighters who make the weight and their opponent misses, and it opens the opportunity that their opponent wins the fight. One thousand percent. Uh Bo Nickel, obviously the, the fight with Val Woodburn. I mean, credit to Val Woodburn for stepping up. He was finished a little too quickly. I would have given Val more of a chance, but I mean Bo Nickel flashed his hands, and I thought it was gonna be uh I thought he was going to take him down to finish him, but he he did it on the feet. Yeah, Bo Nickel looked good, did what he needed to do against Al Woodburn, and is without a doubt one of the most exciting prospects in all of MMA. I need to see a little bit more from him, but definitely someone that you could build um, a division around and, quite frankly, a newer generation of fans that just got into the sport. Bo Nickel could be a guy that, People could uh, people could really get get behind, given his background and just a, a very cool story, and definitely someone who's must watch TV. And for Val Woodburn, you have to give him all the credit in the world for taking the fight on so many days' notice. Dana White did say he will get another fight. Hopefully, yeah. they give him a full camp and uh, and a guy that they feel he can compete well against and with a similar record. So I'm I'm excited to see more of Woodburn. We really didn't get a chance to see a ton from him, of course because the fight was so short. But yeah, definitely a very good performance for Nickel and someone who I think is going to have a massive 2024 uh, uh, coming up here in the next several months. Definitely. Uh, also, salute to Robbie Lawler. Again, we went more into it onto our uh, post-fight stream from Sunday, but that was probably, as I said, the greatest retirement ever. The, the way it was handled, the way he won the fight, the way he got emotional, the video, it was perfect. It was 100% perfect, a great way for a legend to go out. One of my favorite fighters, one of your favorite fighters, I think one of everybody's favorite fighters, to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, media member or not, you have to feel good for Robbie Waller uh, with that knockout. A nice bookend to a career on ABC in Vegas. Just, it's like um, it's like his fight with Steve Berger at UFC 37 and a half early on in his career. One of the greatest signings in the early Zufa era was Dana White going to Hawaii to find Robbie Waller at a local event 
that's one of that's one of the greatest and most underrated signings in MMA history. And props to Robbie Lawler for all that he's done, not just for the UFC but for the sport, bringing in many, many, many generations of fans and a lot of legendary moments. So congratulations on a well-deserved week and uh, and uh, retirement swan song, without a doubt. Uh, just to wrap things up so we can get moving to the other headlines, uh, some other performances. Shout out Denise Gomez for that upset 22nd knockout of uh, Yasmin Jirugui, who was who chased the feet for the first time. Uh, Jesus Aguilar, one of the best overhand punch knockouts I've ever seen. And he just blasted Stephen Ross absolutely out cold. Uh, Cameron Simon, obviously a teammate of Drikas Duplessis, getting the big win first round. And like I said, Rivovich versus Kirk. I th- I thought, oh, are we starting with the fight of the night? And then just more fight of the nights continued to develop over the course of the over the course of the card. So yeah, very very solid card overall. Um, you would probably agree with this, but my first A plus of the year goes a to this plus. goes to this event one hundred percent. And Tom, knowing the UFC's momentum with pay per views right now. I think you and I are in for a very exhausting and exhilarating fall, but it should be absolutely amazing. Yep. So remember all that debate we were talking about, a 285, 287 for card of the year. I think both got blasted away. Yeah, 285 and 287 are definitely ranked in the top five for sure. But number one, without a doubt, at least for this very moment in time, is UFC 290. Volkanovski versus Rodriguez during International Fight Week 2023, which means we are nine UFC pay-per-views away. That's right, we've hit the single digits. Nine UFC pay-per-views away from UFC 300 in what we presume is going to be in April of 2024. More on that in future episodes to come because we have fight news to break down. We had a lot of different... We got uh, a lot of news we got to break down. A lot stemming outside of International Fight Week. So... I did a breaking news stream about this on Friday when the news broke, but John Jones, Steve Miocic is officially a go. Madison Square Garden, New York City, November 11th, UFC 295. And Zan, I mean, like I said, I was praying for this fight to happen at MSG. It will. We thought it was going to happen at this point, International Fight Week, but MSG is the next best thing. John Jones, New York born. Steve and one of the greatest fighters of all time, Steve Miocic, the greatest heavyweight the UFC has ever had. It just makes the most sense. It just makes the absolute sense that these two get to do it. And as you alluded to earlier, potentially both get to retire at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, this is truly a, this is the UFC's version of like Ali Frazier, Ali Foreman. This feels like that kind of a fight. And I will tell you this, uh, being the longtime MMA fan that I am, uh, this is one that I will not miss, and I will hopefully do everything in my power to make sure I am there in some capacity because it just feels that big. Um, and I can always say years from now when I'm really old that I was at a, at a fight of that magnitude, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there as it gets closer. But still, UFC 30-year anniversary, the day before UFC won, um, back in 1993, to have the the two of the greatest fighters ever to lock horns in the cage. Um, I mean, just really, just really one of the greatest scenarios you can possibly uh, have. And uh, 
I guess uh, I guess you could say that um, this is John Jones's toughest test. Early pick is Jones in the late third round, early fourth round TKO. But man, being the Midwest guy that I am, I would love to see Steve Bamiochik dethrone the goat in Madison Square Garden in essentially John Jones's hometown. Uh, to win the heavyweight title for the city of Cleveland would be absolutely unbelievable. Um, and that's that's a fight that, to me, deserves a world tour for sure. Um, given his Midwest roots, I really hope they go to Cleveland or they go to Chicago so I could go to either of those press conferences. That would be that would be really cool. But this feels like a big fight. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at the time of this recording, we're uh, – we're what, like four months out from it, so yep. it'll be almost it'll be, yeah, exactly four months out. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be one where we're gonna be we're gonna be excited the entire week to the point where that's all we're gonna be thinking about. <laughs> Actually, two days after my birthday too. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. It's a good birthday present. If anybody wants to get me tickets for UFC 295 as an early birthday present, you know that'd be nice. Just saying. Yeah, I, 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 you should ask for that for your, for your birthday if you, if you have not. I just did. You... <laughs> I just did. Um, do, if if Steve Babyochik wins the wins the heavyweight, you expect him to do an Irish jig again, like he did against Cormier. Probably. <laughs> uh, no, it's absolutely exciting fight. It's it's goat versus goat. It's one of the best that the UFC, let alone MMA, MMA, let alone UFC, has ever seen. Versus the guys and who, the only guys and who has defended the heavyweight title three plus times. And if he beats John, he joins Randy Couture as the only three plus, you know, the guy with three or more title reigns in UFC heavyweight history. This is this is big status, big fight feel for both guys. Yeah, what sucks is Randy Couture won't be able to see it because he's banned from going to any UFC events. Yeah, of course my favorite fighter of all time has to be banned from the UFC, of course. Uh, of course he does. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, um, I, I know this is a four-month PSA. Buy the pay-per-view as early as you can. The, the, literally, the second they show the advertisement, buy the pay-per-view. You know this is going to be one of the biggest pay-per-views ever, in my opinion. It has a chance to do two million buys. That's how that's how that's how big this heavyweight title fight feels. So the UFC better build a card that makes it feel like it's one of the biggest cards ever, which I'm sure they will. Um, but yeah, get get excited, set your countdowns, start looking, start looking at fights because the fight is done, the fight is official. The, the fight is coming, and it's one that you definitely do not uh, do not want to miss uh, by any stretch of the imagination, 100%. Now, you know what fight isn't technically done? It's it's not announced, but it's being teased and reported as done. Another big heavyweight clash. A little different, though. Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou. Uh, over the weekend, per Ariel Halwani tweeting this out, he says, an announcement is to be made soon. We're actually recording this during the time where the MMA hour is airing. And as of yet, there is no announcement, no other follow-up report from him. We just know it's expected to be announced. It's expected to be announced soon. Okay, Tom, I I have a question. Do you believe in the theory that once this fight was reported, that it was expected to be announced, that 
Dana White immediately said, okay, it's time to announce Jones versus Stipe to counter Fury versus Nagano, or do you think that's a word, or do you think that's a word of crap? I think, I mean, it definitely helps, but I don't think it was, you know, I like the idea is there, but I don't think, I think it was always the plan. John Jones was there in Las Vegas. We saw him, uh, you know, we saw him making amends with Israel Adesanya. So John Jones was there. Stipe was there. He was the uh, fighter at the big Modelo, uh, at the big Modelo event that they always show in the UFC broadcast. And they officially announced the fight. I think, Zan, the plan was to, you know, I, I think there was always some sort of plan to announce it for the Garden uh, during this fight week. But you wish there could have been a little more. And you wish maybe, you know, you wish there could have been a little more with Jones, Stipe. And- well, uh, well, well, apparently, well, apparently, according to Ariel also, shot at him for this. He said they had planned to do a press conference, but they couldn't get the deal done in time to make the press conference happen. Okay, so the deal couldn't get done right away. But I, I think once the announcements of Fury and Ganu went out, Sam, they couldn't wait for the broadcast and Dana had to go live on uh, on the Friday. I mean, yeah. he did it in front of the power slap. Uh, he did it in front of the power slap set. Now, granted, they had power slap that night, but yes, which uh, full disclosure, I, uh, I, I did watch. <laughs> of course, you did. Um, I, but I have to ask you this, Tom: Is there any way we could have the biggest day in combat sports by having Fury versus Ngannou go head to head with UFC two ninety five? I hope not. I could don't you, want to either fight. Could you imagine? I can imagine, yes, but I don't want to miss either fight. I uh, could ima- I could imagine if that happens that Dana's gonna Dana's gonna ban whoever works the Madison Square Garden jumbo or screens to ensure that that fight is not being shown by any stretch of the imagination on the screens at Madison Square Garden. That will not that that will be that will be off limits to at night if they happen to go the same night. <laughs> I, I might have to change my birthday request up if if uh, Fury and Gondo was booked for November 11th. I'd have to figure out a way to watch both fights. But uh, yeah. Now, the other thing coming out of this, Sam, which actually I failed to mention when we talked about this last week, because we mentioned the whole Charlo situation, there are some people who are calling. Namely, uh, I want to make sure I get his name right. The manager promoter of Alexander Usyk, Alex Krasiuk, who are saying that Tyson Fury, if he takes this fight with Nganu, should be now. Granted, it could be an exhibition about that. Was the first mentioned it last week? Um, even if it's an exhibition, some are saying that if Tyson takes this fight with Francis, he should be stripped of the WBC title. Do you agree? Yeah, even yeah, even if it is an exhibition, he should be stripped considering how long he's been out. Yeah. Which, which yeah, I was gonna say he hasn't fought him like over a year and a half, right? I yeah, I want to say fair enough, but at the same time, you know, it's it's Francis Ngannou. At the same time, it's somebody who honestly could help bring some eyes to your sport. One thousand percent. Um. I see this fight airing on DAZN with Eddie Hearn being the promoter. What do you what do you what do you think? 
normally I would say ESPN plus because Tyson Fury is under top rank and uh, Francis Ngannou with the PFL and ESPN. But the fact that Eddie Hearn mentioned it last week kind of caught my eye. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe somebody talked to Dana and they proposed Actually, the idea. And by the, way, and by the way, he last fought in December. He did retain against Chizora. Oh, that's right. So you know, I don't it, know if it, I can necessarily it, say strip him, but I mean, Zan, I would only be for stripping him if it meant that it opened up the door for Alexander Usyk to become the undisputed champion, which I don't know if that will happen because boxing gets in its own way again. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about another big name in the sport, Zan. Let's talk about Connor because Connor also made headlines during International Fight Week when that episode aired of him and Michael Chandler getting into the into the altercation inside the tough cage, and you saw Dana White going out of my way. Yeah, so uh, for those who haven't seen it, Dana White did an interview with TSN Zaren Bronstetter, where Dana revealed that the fight is still being talked about. He is adamant that Connor will fight by the end of the year, but he did call out Usada subconsciously, whether he meant it or not, that's up for debate. But the, the, the question now becomes, um, is Connor going to get that exemption? Apparently, according to, well, now, um, according to Twitter, Connor did tweet a little Christmas emoji to, to say that he wants to he wants December. Tom, did he delete the tweet yet, or does he still have it up? <laughs> I haven't checked. But what's funny is Amy Kaplan, my editor at Fanset at MMA, your former editor, Zan, did ask about that when uh, at the post by press conference. And actually, that's when Dana went off and basically flat out told the people, flat out told the outlets who reported that headline saying, quote, who cares what Usada says? He basically said, he flat out said, F you, and said, yeah, basically, yeah. basically implied he was taken out of context. Yeah, which probably means any of those outlets who didn't write that story um, is probably getting their ban letters from UFC PR as, as, we, as we speak. <laughs> oh. Um, un, un, unfortunately, uh, for those curious, I will not be one of them that, that, that is, that is, that is receiving that. Granted, I do not have access to the UFC credential media list, but, um, but I will say that is a call out of all call, call outs. And in typical Dana White fashion, he was, he was very upset and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Anyone? on one hand, as you kind of alluded to, he technically did say it, but when we were looking at that footage with Bronstetter, it, it feels like he was kind of just, he. if you look at the full spoke, scope of the picture, he was basically saying, I'm worried about this weekend. I'm not worried about what's going to happen months from now. now. Right, right, which is what Dana was trying to say that he meant. Correct. The, 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 now, now, granted, Connor himself tweeted out the Santa Claus emoji. And he has basically, I saw in another tweet, Zan, I don't know if that's the late or not, but he flat out said December. He wants December. He did tease, oh, uh, Navi Law will probably be out of retirement by December and fight him, but the assumption is, between those comments by Dana and the Connor tweet, Zan, the assumption is, at least on our part, they're still trying to get the USADA exemption. Yeah, they're still trying to get the USADA exemption. December 16th is wide open for a pay-per-view that night which is what the UFC put in a T-Mobile license for, which yep. they were approved for. 
Um, so yeah, that date is still open. And, and, the, uh, fact Connor, and the fact that Dana mentioned that and Connor made that tweet, Zan, actually it makes me feel a little bit better considering my rants from the last week. So it seems like the fight is still, we can't say on because it's not official, but that there is hope. There is hope that this fight is still going to happen December 16th. Okay, so do you think now they're just trying to brush over the sexual assault allegations that Ooh. took place a month ago? Because that's also another layer to this whole yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I hate and I, and I and I and I and I and I and I hate to bring it up, but it's part it's it's part it's part of the story too. It's well, it's part of the story of Conor McGregor. It's part of his whole story about all these legal issues. We talked about that when we talked about the sexual assault allegations. Yep. It's it's all part of the story. Uh okay, wait. So at, at the time that this is being aired, I'm gonna ask you this question. It's July 11, 2023. Yes or no, does Conor McGregor versus does Michael Chandler happen in December at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas? Or do they or do they move the fight as maybe we were speculating it it it, it might happen? I say it happens December 16th, but for that to happen. We we need we need it within the next month, or we need it, the announcement within the next four to six weeks. By the time Tough is done, we need the announcement, which is what they were planning on doing anyway. They were they they were planning to announce it before the season was over. Which don't be surprised if at the UFC 292 press conference we get the major promo. So either, yeah, it's either I. I would even say, Zan, even if they wait till 292 itself, by, by UFC 292, the fight has to be official. The fight has to be announced. Okay. I think I think that's my I think that's my deadline. They've, I think they've so. Got, so they've got a month and like a month and a week or something. Yeah, so the clock is ticking over at uh the, the, the clock is ticking over in uh, over at UFC HQ. That's for that's for that's for sure. <laughs> every every minute that we keep talking about is every minute that the fight is not official. <laughs> so, yep. All right. Uh, trust me. If I was if, if, if I was if I was the intern, I would be I would be I would be uh I would be grilling whoever whoever I have to grill every day, asking what the status of that fight is. <laughs> All right, just to wrap things up with a few more headlines. Or intern. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, in, in all seriousness, poor, poor poor UFC intern who has to who has to sit on this that probably knows what the date is, but can't say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, and poor intern who's in the war room this uh, this morning, too. Yeah, that that's not gonna be that's not gonna be good. <laughs> all right. Uh couple of headlines to finish this off so Zan, after talking about what the hell could be next for Deontay Wilder talking about oh negotiations with Ruiz aren't going well negotiations with Joshua the tease from Eddie Hearn about Saudi Arabia later this month all of a sudden out of nowhere Zan, oh Alex Anthony Joshua and Dillian White are gonna fight next month on uh on DAZN DAZN pay-per-view for those in the UK and Ireland sorry guys but it's gonna be free for us in the U.S. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited about that. But Tom, my question is, why is Dillian White getting this rematch now? The the, 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 the timing of it to me just doesn't make any sense. Again, 
I, I, I can say nothing else. I mean, am I going to watch this fight? I mean, as uh, long uh, as it's true. I mean, we looked on my DAZN account before, Zan, and it didn't seem like there was, it seemed like it would be free for us. You just need the DAZN subscription. So as long as it's just the DAZN subscription, yeah, I'll be watching. If it might. Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. But, but I mean, I guess I'll still say this argument anyway for our friends over at the UK and Ireland. You know, okay. I'd say maybe it's a little different for them considering their price and everything. But I mean, if it was the zone pay-per-view here in the U.S., you we haven't even gotten to Paul versus Diaz yet, which is going to say a lot for the um the zone pay-per-view model on August fifth. Well, you gotta wait, man. You, like if if it was pay-per-views back-to-back weekends, especially Zan back-to-back weekends after the massive combat sports, the mess that combat sports world is going to go through on July 29th between Crawford Spence and UFC 291 and the Bellator Ryzen stuff. Like, you, you gotta, you gotta chill. The, so, it better be, you know, just the subscription, and I better not be mistaken, otherwise I'm gonna have the rant of all rants next week. Yeah, well, it doesn't look like it, because I looked it up on the, on, like, DeZone's U.S. website, and there there's no indication of pay-per-view in the United States, which is which is a good thing. Yeah, but, but uh, until I but but until I get the official press release from DeZone, which by the way I was able to sign up for DeZone's releases a week ago, then I will then I will really know the real truth based on what DeZone PR tells everybody. So um, yeah, yeah, definitely um, not a circuit fight per se, but a fight where if you're an Anthony Josh, Joshua fan, you're pumped about it. It's just to me, Dillian White at this phase in his career, I don't know if a rematch makes sense. But nonetheless, though, Jazone just continuously pumping out content. They've been fights almost every single weekend this entire summer, and that's another that's another massive blockbuster fight. Do you notice a trend here, Tom? Almost every single weekend, Jazone is trying to entice you to watch every event because there's at least one big name on every event. And that they have in the in the in in the boxing world, absolutely. And it's you know it's it's kind of a it's kind of a smart marketing tactic. Is it is it is it not? It is. Like they're trying to you know we talked about how they need to compete. You know they need to get that surge against the likes of the ESPN pluses and the Fox Sportses and Showtimes. This is the way to do it. My question is about this fight. Now, obviously, Joshua has already competed this year when he took on um, Franklin. Yeah, Jermaine Franklin. In a very uh, in, a, in a very lackluster performance, by the by the way. Is are are they gonna use this rematch so that way to kind of lure, you know, that way to so it can help set up a potential showdown with Deontay Wilder in December in Saudi Arabia, kind of like Eddie Hearn kind of teased last week. Yeah, they'll probably end up flying Deontay Wilder in for this fight. That would be my that would be my prediction. Otherwise. Otherwise, Deontay Wilder may not have a choice but to do the Ruiz fight. But those two don't seem to, they can't seem to get the negotiation straight with the fight first split. Right. And there's no, and there's no date. Right. right? Yeah. So, 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 yeah, Andy Ruiz is just in limbo. Oh, this is a very important fight that most people realize. If I'm Andy Ruiz, I'm, root, I'm rooting that. I, I'm rooting, uh, I'm rooting with every ounce of energy that I, I have for doing for Dillian White to, to ruin all, to ruin Dizone's plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you're right. Uh, GSP is back. Not how, I mean, yes, as a fighter, but not in the octagon. 
He is going to be competing in the UFC Fight Pass Invitational in December. It's submission wrestling and jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've never watched um I've never watched UFPI. That's what I'm gonna call it. I've never, I've never I've never watched UFPI live, but this will entice me to do so. George St. Pierre, class act of the sport, gave a shout out to Gordon Ryan, which I thought was super cool, calling him the best grappler of all time, which is a bold statement considering how many amazing MMA grapplers there have been over the years. So to hear that come from Jordan St. Pierre was very, very interesting in my opinion. Um, but yeah, this is that. Go ahead, go ahead. Do you think? I mean, he was teasing a few names on there, like one Khabib. Do you think he gets one of these big names to face him in this submission wrestling uh, event at FBI? Yeah, you. Yeah, you can't have. You can't have Jordan Saint Pierre fight anybody random. It has to be somebody worth coming back for. And without a doubt, it would be the biggest event in UFC Fight Pass history, and I think it would do very well. I hope so. I definitely will be tuning in. But, Zan, we do have one fight to talk about for this weekend. UFC Vegas 77 Apex, baby! Holly yeah, Holt, Maria, Mera Bueno Silva. Yeah, back at the UFC Apex, and uh, um, I, I can't say much, but um, I'll have something a little bit special planned for this card, so stay tuned uh, for my uh, to my Twitter for that. Uh, it's a rare opportunity but i'm not going to get into it at this very moment nonetheless though this main event is going to be pretty interesting uh uh, myra bueno silva is going to be playing the heel role here if she beats holly home it obviously we uh it it raises a lot of eyebrows there's this whole floating around about ronda rousey potentially coming back holly home has been inactive for at least a little bit now uh back in another main event position i'd say holly home by decision is the is the pick here and this one, and I don't think it'll be very close. Although, if Blano Silva does keep it standing, and you know Holly Holm is susceptible to strikers who, you know, who fight orthodox, which I believe we've seen Silva demonstrate that in previous encounters um, just just in the past, I think we could be in for a very entertaining fight. See, I forgot about that, because I was thinking this was going to be a straight-up kickboxing versus... Um versus grappling kind of matchup, but I forgot about Silva and her orthodox style. So yeah. I could see that giving some trouble. Ultimately, Zan, I think this fight is going to be somewhat important only because of the vacant title at 135. If Holm wins this fight, I could see the UFC just because she's a former champ and she's throwing her with Juliana Pena for the vacant title. If not, I mean, that opens up the doors of Raquel Pennington. And that opens up the door to the crazy ideas, then, of one RR in a return, if somehow that's true after she leaves WWE. Yeah, it's all very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, that's UFC Vegas 77 in a nutshell. Back ultimately, the by the way, ultimately, I forgot. Ultimately, I do agree with you, though. Home by decision. For sure. But, yeah, that's UFC Vegas 77 in a nutshell. Uh Tom, uh, if you can clarify for me, is this exclusive to ESPN Plus or is this on ESPN? I believe this is on. I believe this is on uh, network ESPN. Makes sense with Holly Home is the main event. So everyone who is a non-ESPN Plus subscriber, you are in luck. Of course, the rest of the world will get it on UFC Fight Pass, BT Sport, and the like. But that's going to do it for another episode of the MMA Outsiders. This has been episode forty-six. 
courtesy of the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Before we get out of here, be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to follow our show at MMA Outsiders ETV all across social media. Be sure if you're on uh, Facebook checking this out, give us a like. If you're on Twitter, um, give give us a retweet. And um, if you're on if you're on Threads, if it's if this episode somehow makes its way onto the new platform called Threads, thanks to Instagram trying to compete with Twitter, um, you can rethread it if you will. Um, or for, for your eyeballs to be on another platform. Uh, nonetheless, to reintroduce ourselves, uh, I'm Zan Bando. I'm a staff writer over at BJPen.com, also a member of the Bellator Rankings Panel. Shout out to the amazing PR team over at Bellator. They are the best at what they do. And I'm, I'm just saying that they truly are some of the most stand-up people in the entire industry. So if you have a chance to work with the guys over there, please do so. At, at BZA, they are the best at what they do. And then, of course, Tom over to my left is a contributor for Fanside and MMA who's cranking out UFC recaps every single Saturday. I have no idea how he does it, but it's someone who used to do recaps a long time ago back in the day. I'm very proud that he continues to hold down the fort for almost every single UFC main event. You can find his work, again, over at Fanside and MMA. Follow him over at Thomas J. Albano. And, of course, Keep it locked into everything that he does over on the PFL's website as the PFL postseason will be taking shape in the next month or so. That's all, all the time we have. We thank you again for tuning in. It's a light week in combat sports, but please, whatever you do, enjoy the fights and stay safe. And of course, before we get out of here, we just want to remind you one last time, as we always like to do on this show, be Joe Piper. Be Joe Piper. Obviously, if you're catching us on the day that it has that it's premiering. Uh, we do have Tough Enough tonight. A reminder, tonight's Tough Enough. Due to the MLB All-Star Game live stream that will be taking place on the network, we're going to be pushed back a little bit to 11.30 Eastern, 10.30 Central, 8.30 out on the West Coast. For this week only, due to the All-Star Game stream, we'll go back to our normal time immediately after Tough, starting next week. And, of course, if you're watching this after Tuesday, the 11th, uh, you can check out Tough Enough as well and our archives on the YouTube and social media pages. But yeah, that's going to do it. Just that reminder. On Tom Vano, that's it. We'll catch you next time on the MMA Outsiders. Take care. Take care, and we'll see you then. Enjoy the fights.